All right, we're going to go ahead and get started tonight. Um, uh, we're going to be over in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, uh, moving on with our study um, of the book. Um, we're going to go through uh, taking a look again at what the Lord gives us and how it is used, um, or in this case, how it does not get used, um, and uh, the evil that is associated with that. But uh, before we um, get started with that, I just wanted to uh, make a quick note that, um, you know, obviously Bob has been appreciative of the prayers as he's not been feeling well, but he let me know that he's doing a bit better and hopes to see us on Wednesday. So uh, again, appreciate uh, all the prayers uh, for him and um, uh, that he'd be uh, back here with us. So I know he... He's very appreciative of that and um, is uh, excited to kind of be through whatever it is that he's going through. So just want to give you an update on that. So, but uh, still continue in prayer uh, for him. Uh, uh, it's always good to pray for one another, uh, regardless of whether we're ill or not. So um, we should always keep each other in prayer. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll get started tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time and opportunity you've given to us to uh, again study the book of Ecclesiastes. And I pray, Lord, that uh, tonight uh, you would give us understanding, you would give us wisdom, you would give us the instruction from your word. Thank you again for just the um, the preserved word that we have here, that we can learn from it, that we can grow from it. Uh, again, Lord, we can find out what a life looks like. Uh, with you versus one that is without. And I pray, Lord, that we would uh, choose to please you and honor you with all the days of our life, that, uh, Lord, we would do your will, and um, that, uh, as the the book of Ecclesiastes says, to fear you and keep your commandments. And, Lord, again, I just pray you would be with me, uh, guide my thoughts and my words, that this time would be pleasing and honoring unto you. And I ask this in your Son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, uh, let's go ahead and read, um, the first few verses here. We'll probably get down to about verse nine of, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter six. And it starts off with, it says, there is an evil which I have seen under the sun and it is common among men. And again, I just want to point this out that a lot of what we find here in the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon's observation. Uh, these are things that are apparent. These are things that were uh, obviously made known to him, that as he was searching for wisdom, he saw exactly where the wisdom lies. It lies within the Lord. It lies within his word. It lies within the the Lord's power, not in the things of this earth. But here he is. He's again taking an observation. And he says in verse 2, A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he uh, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth, yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. If a man begat a hundred children and live many years, so that the days of his years be many, and his soul be not filled with good, and uh, also that he have no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. For he cometh with vanity and departeth in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun, nor known anything that ha- uh, that hath, uh, excuse me, this has more rest than the other. Yea, though he live a thousand years twice told, yet hath not seen uh, no good, 
do not all go to one place. All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. Now, um, when, when you study the book of Ecclesiastes, you cannot approach it as many people do with like the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, you can uh, go through and you can pick out certain um, verses and use them in their singularity. Uh, you can uh, use them in uh, uh, just using the one verse, um, but again, there is a context with pro- the book of Proverbs, but it has to be sought out. The book of Proverbs, while it's simple in form, is, as he starts off with, uh, it's dark sayings, meaning that there needs to be a searching out of the truths that are there, trying to find the connections, trying to find the parallels. Uh, sometimes people think it's just a hodgepodge of uh, Proverbs just thrown in there, but it's not. Uh, God doesn't operate that way, and the book of Proverbs is, uh, again, uh, very clearly organized in a certain way. And when we talk about the book of Proverbs, we can see that. But again, it's still, it's a unique book, the, the book of Proverbs is, and that you can go in there and still choose certain verses out of there and create uh, um, principles that God teaches. But the book of Ecclesiastes is a bit different. Book of Ecclesiastes is a book that has to be studied in its entirety. So as we've gone through and we've already seen some of the context of what we've what we've learned throughout this, and we're about halfway through the book now, um, when we realize the context of what's there, we have to keep that context in mind as we continue to read. Uh, you know, again, the context of what we look at with the book is we're comparing a life that is focused on the physical versus a life that would be focused on the things of God, the things that are spiritual. And again, this is exactly the situation that many people have in this life. Uh, many people are incapable of, of really truly searching out those things that are spiritual, and they try to replace the spiritual gaps and holes in their life with things that are physical. But they find that those are wholly inadequate, and they do not fit, and the end result is is that they wind up with a life that is uh, out of balance, and they wind up with a life that is uh, not in line with Scripture. So when we understand this context, talking about comparing a life without God to a life with God, we have to keep that in mind. We also have to keep in mind the previous chapter. Previous chapter, we were dealing with the sin of blessings that were wrongly viewed, meaning that we person was ungrateful for them, they were unthankful, they were malcontent, they continued in lusting. Now, we see that that's a lot of the context that we saw here all the way through verse 9. There is still this uh, desire that cannot be filled. And again, this is part of the principle, what happens? When you have something that is a spiritual, uh, um, if you will, need, a spiritual hole that needs to be filled, and you try to fill it with something that is physical, it just doesn't fit. No matter how much you try to put in there, it's just not going to fill that volume. I mean, how do you fill the volume, uh, if you will, of God in your life with things that are physical? You can't. It's physically impossible. Number one, God can't be contained. Uh, you, you go over there and you see, again, as we're studying the book of, or studying Psalm chapter 23, talks about his cup runneth over. Uh, you go over there in the book of Luke and he talks about blessings that are overflowing. 
Uh, all of these things are with that relationship with God. That's, that's why we, we want God in our life because he is the only one that can, uh, satiate. He's the only one that can satisfy that need. He's the only one, as I said this morning, that can satisfy comfort because he is the God of all comfort. The physical things of this life do not provide comfort. God does. Those things that are physical may have a temporary, or if you will, relief of something, but they do not fix the issue. As an example, uh, you know, I, I compare it to, to some form of an analgesic or a narcotic or something that's going to do away with pain. If you've broken your arm and you're in pain, taking two Tylenol every six hours really isn't going to address the issue, is it? You've got to, you've got to get into the doctor. You've got to get the arm set. You've got to get a cast on there. If you have to, you need screws and, and, and bars and pins and everything else to put things back together where it needs to be. And it's going to take a long time for it to heal and get back to where it is. So two Tylenol just isn't going to cut it. And that's the same thing that we see when we have this issue with God. When, when, we're, when we realize, as we've seen and kind of understanding the context, the very last verses of this book is that the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. We can't do that with the things that are physical. It's just impossible. So in the previous chapter, we're dealing with all of this lust and all these things. But here in this chapter, we see something interesting. We see an individual that has been given all of these things from God. They've been clearly given to it from God. And we look at that in verse 2. A man to whom God hath given. All of these things are given to him by God. God has allowed him to have this. And the end result is he has misused it. Something has happened where God looks at the situation and says, you know what? You don't get to enjoy this. Now, this is what he's talking about is an evil disease. This is what he's talking about is something that is vanity. It's the the fact that an individual is at a point where he has a want of nothing, but he can't eat it because something is preventing him from doing that. Now, he's, now again, Solomon is kind of vague here about exactly what that is because there's a lot of examples in Scripture that lead us to that that, that understanding. Let's just take a look at a, a, at a couple of them. Just so we can understand, but but one thing I want to point out in verse one is that he says this is common. This is a common thing. He says there's an evil which I have seen under the sun. Again, this is his observation, and it is common among men. This is a common thing. I mean, if we were to go through and start looking at the the, the parallels here, we can see things in the lives of other people. We can see things in our life if we are, are are willing to examine ourselves and we're willing to allow the Holy Spirit to show us and demonstrate where we're doing this, where we're 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 hindering that that, that enjoyment of what God gives us because of our own actions. This is something that, that that we really truly have to begin to think about when it comes to us. You, you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. He starts talking about all of those things, those temptations that are common. I mean, all of these things are common. Just quickly take a look over there at 1 Corinthians, just to, um, to, to kind of keep this in, in, in a mindset. Because again, I, I want us to understand that this is not something that is unique. It's not unique. 
In verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 10, he says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. These are common things. The things that, 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 that Christ underwent, the temptations that he went through, are common to us. Those three temptations that he went through with the devil, they're common to us. There's a reason why he's demonstrating those. There's a reason why those are documented in Scripture. And as I said this morning, the devil left him for a season, meaning that he left him for a little bit, but came back. And it was a continual temptation. The temptation of Christ wasn't just three times, and it was like, uh, you know, oh, I guess, uh, you know, the devil thinks he's struck out, and he's all over with, and it's like, okay, well, I'm never going to win this battle. Well, no, 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 no. He kept at it. The devil, if anything, is persistent. He is persistent, and he will pursue it till its end. He will pursue it until that person is devoured and destroyed. That's that's his end goal. He wants to bring such a shame to the cause of Christ that he doesn't care who gets in the way. It will be to everyone's detriment. But what we find here is very clearly that this is a common thing. And I want us to keep that in mind because this is a common uh, problem that exists. And while we look at this and we think about all of these things, that, you know, what we have and what we've been given, I want us to understand that we are a very rich people. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily America itself. Uh, America is rich. I mean, you know, just about everybody has some sort of vehicle that they can use. We don't rely that heavily on public transportation as other areas in this world do. We all have our vehicles. We sometimes we have two or three vehicles. We have vehicles that are that are out there, and and, and again, you know, when we don't have our vehicles, you know, it, it creates problems for us. But I just want us to think about this for a second. It, 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 beyond that. If we're a saved, born-again child of God, we have the riches of Christ available. Now, again, we're not talking about physical riches. We're talking about the spiritual treasures that he asks us to lay up in heaven. We're talking about the things that are spiritual in nature. And again, this is the comparison of things physical to things spiritual. And the inadequacy of the physical. And here's this guy, he's got everything. He's got everything he could possibly want. But he's still missing something. He's got everything that he could need, but he's missing enjoyment in it. He's missing uh, uh, the fact that he doesn't get to to really truly be satisfied with what the Lord gives him. There's a there, there's a problem in his life. There, there there's a, this common issue. Go over to the book of Luke. Go over to the book of Luke, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll start there. Let's start with Luke chapter twelve. There's several passages that I want us to look at in, in this regards, but Luke chapter 12 is a good one to start off with. Luke chapter 12. <clears throat> um, and uh, let's see here. Let me make sure I got the right passage. <clears throat> Luke chapter 12. And in verse uh, 33, he says, Sell that ye have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
Now, again, this is a situation where uh, uh, an individual is, or excuse me, you know, uh, uh, the disciples are being specifically told what to do. They're being told to lay up treasure somewhere else other than here in the physical life. And people do that all the time. People will sit there and they will lay up treasures, uh, 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 you know, here in this life. They will uh, uh, go through the process of uh, trying to build bigger and bigger barns and trying to uh, fill as much as they can. And this is this is the problem. Again, you, we know the, the parable that that uh, that, uh, that Jesus spoke of of the man that uh, looked and he he said to his own self soul. I have so many things that, you know, I don't know where to put them all. And what does he do? He builds bigger barns. And very clearly, the Lord points it out and says, Thou fool, tonight thy soul will be required of thee. And what happens? He doesn't get to enjoy it. It's taken away from him. It's taken away from him. So keeping in mind that we're supposed to be laying up things in a spiritual sense, not in a physical sense, I want us to keep this in mind when we start thinking about this. Uh, go over to the book of Psalms, and let's go over to Psalm 28, or 128, Psalm 128. <clears throat> you know, here's a situation where, if you will, to a degree, this person is kind of considered a bit of a waster, because they don't have the opportunity to use it. And God says that a slothful man over there in the book of Proverbs chapter 18, slothful man is, is, is kind of akin to that person that is a great waster. It's a person that uh, is given something and then waste it, waste it on whatever. And I, I'll tell you this, I've seen a lot of this happen in, in, in Christians today. I've seen a lot of Christians that have been given an immense talent. They've been given something of the Lord and they waste it. On something else. They, they've been given, if you will, everything that their soul should desire, but they waste it on riotous living, if you will, like the prodigal, or they waste it on something else, and then when it comes time to actually need or to use that, they don't have it anymore. Lost talents. Always remember that. Your talent can be taken away. Your talent can be disappear overnight. Your talent can be gone in an instant. It's, it, it, it is to our benefit to seek the Lord in everything that we do to ensure that we're pleasing him with everything that we have. And the issue is, is that this man that we find in Ecclesiastes isn't doing that. He's, he, he's desiring to heap more unto his own lusts. As you, you know, as it talked about there in verse seven, where it says, all the labor of man is for his mouth, yet the appetite is not filled. He just keeps wanting more and more and more, yet he has all that he should ever desire. And that's often what happens. People just want more and they want more and they want more and they want more and they want more. They're never content with what they have. And God says, okay, fine. You've got all of this. You don't get to have any of it anymore. It's taken away taken away. Take a look at this in, in Psalm chapter 128 and take a look at verse uh, um, 1 and 2. He says, blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord that walketh in his ways. Very clearly associated with what we see over in the last two verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Fear God and keep his commandments, right? He says, for thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. 
Now, I want to establish this principle from the very beginning. This is where God says, if we are fearing God and we're walking in his ways, we're keeping his commandments, we are going to get to enjoy it. And guess what we're going to have? That elusive happiness that everybody wants. That elusive happiness that everybody wants. You know, people try all sorts of crazy things to get happiness, don't they? They try to find the good in life in everywhere else but the Lord. They will try to find it in, 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 in some, some, some matter. Look, I'm not saying that, that all, that, you know, that hobbies are bad or anything and, and the Lord gives it to you and you, to use it and you glorify Him and, and you, you know, you're, you're enjoying it, but the Lord is still priority. Well, praise God. He's given you the ability to do that. Use it for Him. Glorify Him in it. But the minute that we go out of that and we stop fearing God and we start stop walking in his ways, guess what happens? This, this is where he says, happy shalt thou be. Guess what disappears from your life? Happiness. I don't know about you, but I don't like being sad. I mean, I understand the purpose of sadness. All sadness is intended to draw a person near the Lord. But let me be very clear with this. Sadness is a transient thing. It's supposed to be there for a reason. It's supposed to accomplish its purpose, and then you move on. And sadness moves away, and you move to another emotion. That sadness should should eventually yield into happiness, because now you are walking in his pathways. You're fearing him, because you drew near to him. Godly, godly sorrow worketh repentance, Right? So when we get to this point where you're saying happy and it shall be well with thee, those things that God gives you, you get to eat, you get to enjoy. Those are things that are great. I mean, there are times that, that, that you know, when you do something and you make something, uh, whether you're creating, let's just, and let's just use the, the, the common uh, analogy that the Lord's using here, talking about food. You make something that's absolutely wonderful. You make a, you know, a perfectly grilled steak. You make a perfectly juicy chicken. It doesn't come out dry. It's well seasoned. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely amazing. But you don't get to eat it. You don't get to eat it. Somebody else comes and takes it from you and eats it. I would be a little upset about that, I think. Now, I'm not talking about where you make something for someone else and you give it to them. I'm talking about somebody coming in to your home. I mean, uh, let's just say you bake a fresh batch of chocolate chip cookies. They're still steaming hot and warm. They're the ones that you see in the commercial where you're breaking them apart and the chocolate's stringing everywhere and it's a big mess. And you know it's going to be a big mess, but you're happy with that. You got your glass of milk, you got your plate of warm cookies, you sit down to it, you've made it for yourself, you hear a knock on the door, and it's this guy, you've never seen him before in your life. He pushes past you, walks over, takes your plate of cookies and your milk and says thank you and walks out the door. Now, depending on how important those cookies are to you and that milk, you might be saying, excuse me, what are you doing? And he says, I'm taking them. These are mine. Now, we would definitely say that was an evil thing to do, especially if you wanted the cookies, right? Now, that may be a simple thing, but I want you to understand, this is the exact same thing that the nation of Israel did. 
Now, I mean, think about this for a second. They were given so much. They were given so much. He said, I'm going to give you a land of milk and honey. I'm going to give you... I mean, they walked in and they had great clusters that had to be carried in between two men on a stick. I mean, come on. That's a lot of grapes. And they're talking about how wonderful the land is. And, and this was all given to them. And what did they do with it? Exactly what God said would happen. When you disregard me, when you cut me out of your life... A stranger, a foreigner, someone else will come into your land and eat what you got, what you made. How many times did that happen? How many times were they sitting there and they were trying to grow something and then in comes the hordes and as soon as they grow it, they come in and they take it and they walk, they run away. It happens all through the book of Judges. It continues to happen. And here they are. They built themselves these these wonderful cities and everything like that. And in come the Assyrians and in come the Babylonians and take it all away. Take it all away. They still don't even have all of it. They're still fighting to keep over what little part they do have. I mean, they've got the West Bank over there, and it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's lit, it's just a small little postage stamp of a piece of property. And everybody's making a big stink about it, and they're like, well, that's not yours. Yeah, it is. It belongs to them. God gave it to them. And, and, and people are arguing over it. Somebody else gets to eat of that. Somebody else is taking that away from them. That's the nation of Israel. Just use an example. Turn over the book of Hosea. Very quickly, just turn over to the book of Hosea. Um, find the book of Daniel and find Hosea. And Hosea, oh, let's take a look here. Chapter 7. Hosea chapter 7. Take a look at what he says in verse 9. It says, Strangers have devoured his strength. And he knoweth it not, yea, gray hairs are here and there upon him, and he knoweth it not. He's talking about a situation where Ephraim is in trouble. And, and here he's saying that, that the, the strangers are coming, and what are they doing? They're devouring his strength. They're slowly eating away at him. They're slowly weakening him. Something else is, to, is, is, if you will, causing gray hairs to come on him. But he doesn't understand it. He doesn't know it. The same with this individual here. He doesn't know it. I mean, the, the nation of Israel didn't know it till it was too late. Till all of a sudden they woke up one day and, 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 and standing in their living room was a Babylonian soldier saying, we're here to take your children. And all, and they're sitting there saying, what do you mean by this? And all of the prophets that were warning them are sitting there saying, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. I told you this was coming. I mean, all of them were sitting there warning them, saying, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Go over to the book of Proverbs. Go to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. Uh, uh, and, and this is an important principle. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 5, take a look at verse 10. Proverbs chapter 5 and in verse 10. 
He says, lest strangers be filled with thy wealth and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. Well, well, what is he talking about? Well, let's back up here a little bit here. Who, who, Who is he referring to in this? He's talking something about a strange woman. He's talking about the strange woman. And he says, you know, obviously he starts off the very first verse. He says in verse 1, My son, attend to my wisdom and bow thine ear to my understanding. This is Solomon talking. That thou mayest regard discretion and that thy lips may keep knowledge. He says, For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her hand is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou should ponder the way, the path of life, her ways are, are movable, that thou canst not know them. He's talking about a strange woman here. Now, obviously, you know, somebody looks at it and thinks they're talking about a harlot or something of that nature. But as we study the book of Proverbs, we see that very clearly this is also talking about things related to false doctrines. This is also things relating to, if you will, the things of the world. It's very clear. And here he's saying that leads you down to death. That, that, that That's going to cause a problem. And this is what he goes through. And he says in verse 8, he says, Remove thy way far from her and come not nigh to the door of her house, lest thou give thine honor to others and thy years unto the cruel, lest strangers be filled with thy wealth and thy labors uh, be uh, in the house of a stranger. He says, what's going to happen? It will be taken away from you. Your life will be taken away from you. I mean, one of the things that we have in the, you know, is, is this amazing thing called life. And, and it's very precious. We try to keep it, you know, going as long as we can. You know, we eat, we drink so that we can have that in us to, to continue to move forward into the next day. We, we, we go to doctors when things aren't working right. And we try to get them fixed. We try to take care of those things. But, but, but here we look at this and he says, your life will be, if you will, a complete waste if you continue to pursue after the wrong object. Now again, we're talking about the overall context of the book of Ecclesiastes. We're talking about focusing on the wrong object, the things of this world, versus focusing on the right object, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. His word, his ways, his will. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So when we think about this, we we make it, we can understand very clearly that, that this is an individual, something is preventing him from having enjoyment. It's taken away by the stranger because the Lord lets that happen. The Lord lets that happen. Look, let's not kid ourselves. The Lord will take away if we don't use it right. The Lord will take away if we don't use it right. Go over to the book of Luke. Let's go over to the book of Luke and let's go to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. The parallel passage is found over there in Matthew chapter 25 of this same parable. But Luke chapter 19 is where we'll start. Luke chapter 19 and, um, oh, let's see here. <clears throat> here, here's this parable of the, the pounds. Um, and again, as we, we start talking about this, 
Uh, we see in, in verse 15, it says, and came to pass when he was returned, this is the, the good man of the house, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, and he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Okay. So when we talk about this principle of this parable, it's very clear. We have been given things in this life. God expects us to grow something with it. The the expectation is that it would not come back empty and void. The expectation is that it would return something. Now, again, it's not necessarily about the quantity, because not everybody yields the same quantity. But it is the purpose behind it, what is done for the Lord. What is done for the Lord. He wants to know, okay, I've given you this this money. What did you do with it? How much did you grow it? How did you invest it? What did you put it in? What did you, what, what happened? What occurred? And we go through and the guy that got a pound, he gained 10 pounds and he was given authority over 10 cities. The guy that he gave a, a pound to, his pound gave five pounds and he had uh, five cities given un, uh, unto him. And then here's this one in verse 20. Another came saying, Lord, behold, here's thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee because thou art an austere man. Uh, thou takest up uh, that thou laidest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up where I laid, down, uh, laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thy money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? He said, Why did you just put it in an interest-bearing account? I mean, I mean, it's simple as that. He said, "Why?" And again, the interest you go and you put it in a savings account. What's the average rate for a savings account? What is it? One percent? Oh wow! There you go. And the Lord said, "I would be happy with that. I would be happy with that." And it's ridiculous the amount that that savings account gets, right? That's why there's other investments that are better off that you put that money into. But he said here, just as simply to him, he said, look, I would have been happy with that. I would have been happy if you made two cents off of the pound that I gave you. But he didn't even do that. It was given to him, and he wasted it. Now, he didn't grow anything with it. He didn't lose it. But he wasted an opportunity. He lost something. And what happens here in verse 24? And he said unto them that stood by, take from him the pound and give it to him that hath ten pounds. I understand the principle behind what's going on here. And I understand all of the context that's there. And we talked about the doctrine with this. But I just want to point out that, that very clearly the Lord is saying that, hey, you know, if I'm giving you something, I expect you to do something with it. Otherwise, I'm going to take it away. I'm going to take it away. Now, that's a principle that I think everybody should understand. And that really should cause us to move to a point of where we fear God. Not fear him in, in, in a terror manner, if you will, where we're, we're scared, but fear him and understand, as he said here, there are an austere man. And he said, I'm going to judge you that way because that's exactly what you called me. You understood my expectations, but you didn't do anything with it. Now, let's think about this for a second when it comes to the things that are spiritual. We have a spiritual life that's given to us. We have a life that's more abundant. We have eternal life. We have forgiveness of sins. 
what do we do with it? Do we just lay it up in a napkin? I mean, even if in our life, the only people that we ever had an opportunity to do is we witness to a hundred people and nobody trusted Christ as their savior, but we still witnessed to the purpose where God was, was glorified and used. That's all that matters, right? I mean, we're not trying to, to, to go around and, and force people into uh, conversion, all right? We're not doing the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's got to do the conviction. The Holy Spirit's got to do the work. The Holy Spirit's the one that does the sealing. Jesus Christ does the saving. I mean, come on. We're, we're, we're just the tool. <laughs> we're just the implement he uses. And we bring glory to the Father. That's the purpose of what we do. We please him. That's all he asks. Well, I just, nobody seems, okay, look, I get it. You can go out there and you can have a ministry and you can sit there. I mean, look at Jeremiah's ministry. One guy. One guy. Out of all of Jeremiah, one guy. We think about that just for a second. It, it, it's like, wait, hold, hold on. Would we call that a successful ministry? Well, it depends on what we were talking about. I say Jeremiah was one of the most successful prophets there was. Why is that? Because he loved the Lord and he pleased the Lord with everything that he did. Even though he had some struggles, guess what? He still pleased God. He still glorified God. Even when he was in the pit and he was stuck in the mire, he glorified God. And that's that's all he asks of us. And yet, you know, here's the thing, is is the Lord gives us so much more than that. He gives us homes. He gives us food. He gives us health. He gives us safety. He gives us protection. He gives us friends. He gives us a church. He gives us scripture. He gives us salvation. I mean, come on. How much more do we really need? But this is this is the mindset. It can get taken away from us. You know, this concept in this passage is that here you've got this guy that essentially, you know, the old world word for him was a miser. Today, you know what we call him? A hoarder. I mean, I mean, how many of us have seen, come on, let's just have a little testimony time. How many of us have turned on that episodes of hoarders and we got about halfway through and we got sick and we turned it off? <laughs> we've all seen that and we, we sit there and we start looking around our house going, okay, what can I get rid of, you know? <laughs> we start like, okay, I need to start purging this, you know, this idea of the Japanese mindset of living with minimalism, you know, starts becoming more and more attractive. But I mean, praise God, you know, we look at that situation and we go, wow. But I want you to think about that. You know, sometimes that's the way the Christian life becomes. A man to whom God has given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. His house is filled with the blessings of God. But yet he refuses to acknowledge God in it. And he just simply wants more. And God says, no. As a matter of fact, what you have, you're not going to even get to participate in. You're not even going to take part of. And, and again, I want you to notice this because, because he, he, he very subtly puts something in here and there's, it appears three times. And I want you to take a look at this. Take a look at verse three. I'm going to read, read a passage. I'm going to emphasize a phrase 
And then we're going to read a couple other passages. In verse 3, it says, If a man begat a hundred children and live many years, so that his days, uh, uh, the days of his years be many, and his soul be not filled with good, and that he have no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. Okay, let's go down to verse 6. Yea, though he live a thousand years, twice told, yet hath seen no good, do not all go to one place. Jump down a little bit further into the end of the, the chapter, which we didn't read, but in verse 12, for who knoweth what is good for man in this life, all the days of his life, of his vain life, which he has spent as a shadow. I want you to understand there, I just emphasized three times that phrase, dealing with good. Dealing with good. Now let me ask you, what is the greatest good that has ever been? It's Lord Jesus Christ. It's God. I mean, it, it, it's who he is. Turn over to Psalm chapter 136. <clears throat> Do you ever read Psalm 136? I know this is a tangent. This is a rabbit hole. <clears throat> you know how God repeats something? And when he repeats something, it's kind of for us to pay attention to. Because it's a principle that we need to understand. You ever read Psalm 136 and notice what happens at the very end of every single verse? <laughs> His mercy endureth forever. I mean, here he is, he's repeating this essentially 26 times for us to understand. How many, I mean, how many times have you told a person, this is the umpteenth million time I've told you? And God says, this is the 26th time I've told you, my mercy endures forever. Now, isn't that good? Isn't that just something absolutely fantastic and wonderful to even contemplate and meditate on? How his mercy continues to endure even when we don't deserve the mercy. But take a look at verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. What does it say? For he is good. For he is good. His, for his mercy endureth forever. And it starts off with the very first verse. For he is good. And what happens in this, back over there into that chapter six? Good is not present with this man. Good is not present with this man. What does it say in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, that we are ordained unto? Good works. Well, what are good works? Good works are based off of things that are godly. Because he is good. So in order to do what is good, it's not good in our own sight. It's good what's in the sight of the Lord. So those good works are not just simply us giving to the Boy Scouts, or I guess we don't call them Boy Scouts anymore, the Scouts, uh, or, 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 or buying Girl Scouts cookies. How come they get to be called Girl Scouts? And Never mind. <laughs> but you, you understand what I'm saying. That's not considered good works according to the Lord. Good works are very specific. Good works are things that please him, that bring glory to his name, that, that honor him. And this man has none of that in his life. So we wonder why God's taking it away. It's because God is not even present there. God gave it to him, and God can surely take it back. God can surely take it back. 
He has seen, he, he's not filled with good. He hath not seen good. And again, the question is asked, what is good for man? What is good for man? I like how he, 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 he ends this chapter with that question, for who knoweth what is good for man in this life? Who knows? Now, he asks this as a rhetorical question, okay? We know the answer. I mean, take a look at verse 12. I know we didn't read verse 12, and we're not going to get to, to verse 12, you know, tonight, but I want us to understand this, this context here. In verse 12 of Ecclesiastes chapter 6, it says, For who knoweth what is good for man in this life all the days of his vain life, which he also spendeth, which he spendeth as a shadow? For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? The question is that. Now, again, you go back to the very first chapter, or the very first part of this book, and that question is asked in verse 3, what profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? He asks that question. How is a man going to profit with his life? Because God wants to see that profit. So here he's asking that question, who knows what's good for a man? Do we know what's even good for ourselves? I mean, you know, the nation of Israel did that which was right in their own eyes. And what did it wind up with? Bondage. Bondage. You know, that's exactly what sin is. We look at something in our life and we, 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 we go after it, right? I mean, man, we're, we're, we're going after it and we're going to pursue it and we're going to just, you know, just take that and it's going to be everything and we're going to just, 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 if you will, dump ourselves into that. And the end result is we think it's good for us. We think it's right. And what happens? We bring ourselves into the bondage of sin. The consequences. The reaping and the sowing. Or I should say the reaping of the sowing. It comes back and then we sit there and we go, wait a second. This isn't what I necessarily wanted. I don't think the nation of Israel went out there and said, you know, hey, we're going to go ahead and disobey God. We're going to just worship all these idols. We're going to do all these things because, hey, I want the Midianites to rule over us. I don't think they said that. I think it became a bit of a slow progression and the next thing you know is they woke up with the Midianites over him. It's just like this man, all of these things are given to him, and the next thing you know is he doesn't get to eat it. A stranger is eating it. Somebody else, the, all the stuff that he has labored for, somebody else gets it. All these things that God gives, somebody else gets it. I can't help but think of Esau. Here's Esau. Esau's born first. He's the oldest. Yeah, I understand by just a, you know, a short period of time, they were twins, but Esau came out first. And then Jacob, right? So who gets the birthright? Whoever comes out first. That's the way it works. So he's the firstborn. So he gets he gets the birthright. What happened? Esau despised the birthright. He despised it. I'm sure there was a lot of reasons why he despised it. 
But the end result is, is he despised it so much that he sold it for, 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 for pottage. <laughs> he sold it for, for, for what? A stew? Bowl of soup? Some bean soup at that? <laughs> I mean, come on. And there he is. And he's all happy and content with that. Until he realizes what he gave away. Then all of a sudden, he now hates Jacob. Well, who's the one that despised it? And who's the one that appreciated it? So we start thinking about this for a second. You know, you never know. That stranger may have appreciated it more than you do. There's been things in my life that I know that God has removed from me because I did not use it the way that God was intended it to be used. So when we look at this here, it makes it very clear that, that if the things are not being used for that which is good, to the glory of God, then there's a problem in our life. This is what this whole context is about. I mean, you, you look at this and these key verses are, are actually chapter 11 or in, in chapter 6 are verses 11 and 12 where he begins to ask that question about do we even know what's good in our life? So that we think this guy's got all the good stuff, right? But he doesn't actually have all the good stuff. He says somebody that, 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 that is an untimely birth, he says that person that doesn't even get to experience all the things of life, that individual is better off than this guy who's lived it and has everything. And he says there's that comparison. There's this comparison that we see here. So again, what does God tell us to do? He says, lay up our treasures in heaven. Go over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, the Lord makes it pretty clear here about what we're supposed to do. Now, now, now the interesting thing is, is when you get to Matthew chapter, get to the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew is dealing with Christ portrayed as a what? A king. Christ as king. King of Israel. King of Jews, king of the world. Okay? And it talks about the physical, literal, millennial reign of Jesus Christ. The 1,000 years. And it is referred to as the kingdom of heaven, which is only mentioned here. Okay? Now, what I say only mentioned here, I'm talking about reference as the kingdom of heaven. There are tons of millennial prophecies in the Old Testament. And there's tons talked about it over there in the book of Revelation as well. So we understand that this physical, literal reign of Jesus Christ is going to come. But here it is referenced as the kingdom of heaven in the book of Matthew. And and, and again, this is what the Jews want. They want that physical kingdom. The, the, the disciples were asking in Acts, as, as, as he's ascending up into heaven, saying, uh, Lord, is this when the kingdom comes? Is this when the kingdom returns to Israel? You know what they're still kind of focused on a little bit? They were still focused on the physical. What were the Pharisees focused on? The physical. What was the nation of Israel focused on? The physical. They were focused on so much that they didn't see that their king had to be their savior first. They didn't see that. I mean, we read this morning over there that afterwards John believed. The whole time that, he, that Jesus Christ is, is here teaching them and walking them through it, they still didn't understand it. 
Man, how many times, I mean, I mean, do they not get it? I mean, Mike was talking about that in a, in a message not too long ago over there in, in the last part of the book of Luke where they're walking along and they don't even recognize Jesus Christ until he reveals to them scripture and then they're like, oh, and then boom, he's gone. When we realize what's going on here, we realize that this is talking about something physical in the book of Matthew, but it's also talking about the spiritual need that is necessary. So when we get to this point in Matthew chapter 6, I want us to understand that he's been talking a lot about the physical kingdom already. And now I want you to see this shift that he begins to talk about in verse uh, chapter 6 and in verse uh, verse 19. And this is a passage that we quote frequently. He says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I mean, those are good verses, right? Here he is talking right in the middle of the introduction of a physical kingdom being offered to the nation of Israel at this point in time. And they're just, you know, they're still having some issues with it. And he starts talking about something that is a spiritual need. A spiritual need. Now, I want us to think about this for a second. He just went through these two, uh, two verses in verse 19 and verse 20. And he talks about thieves breaking through and steal and moths eating it. Strangers taking it and moths eating it. He says that's what happens with the physical stuff. And so many times in our life we get so focused on that physical. We get so focused on, 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 on if you will, the immediate right now. That we're not willing to lay up something in heaven, which is what is good for us. That's the stuff that really counts. That's the stuff that, that, that the Lord that really matters to the Lord. This physical stuff is all going to burn up anyways. Even after the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, this earth is over. We'll read the book of Revelation, and after the end of the, uh, the, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, he destroys this uh, this earth. It's gone. It passes away with a great noise, a fervent heat. It's all dissolved, as he says. And he makes a new one. And again, that one is without sin. Praise the Lord. The devil's locked up forever. Never getting out. Praise the Lord. But, but, but again, everything that we see on this earth is only a temporary thing. This earth has an expiration date. And it's not a best used by date too. It's, it, it's, this is when the earth will detonate. <laughs> it will be over with. It will go up. It's going to be gone. And he says, I want you to lay up your treasures in heaven. Go over to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 17. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 17. In Psalm chapter 17, <clears throat> take a look at what he says here in verse 14. Let's back up here just a little bit <clears throat> to verse 13. He says, arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down, deliver her, my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword from men that are, uh, um, 
that are thy hand, <coughs> O Lord, for men of the world which have their portion in this life and whose belly thou uh, fillest with uh, thy hid treasure, they are full of children and they leave the rest of their substance to their babes. He says, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. He says, everyone else is just so concerned about what they're going to leave behind. They're so concerned about what they're going to leave behind. And I want you to notice this, what the psalmist says here. As for me, I will behold thy faith in righteousness. You want to know how you can see God? Do what is right. Do what is right. He beholds the face of God in righteousness. He says, I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. You know what he's seeking? He's seeking to have the mind of Christ, as Paul tells us we're supposed to have, and to do the will of the Lord. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ came. He said, I came to do the will of the Father. That's what he said. So when we begin to realize that this is exactly what we're supposed to do, here he is saying, look, I'm going to be satisfied with that. I'm going to be satisfied with that. Go back over to the book of Ecclesiastes, and in verse 9 in chapter 6, doesn't he say, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire uh, of, of, uh, of the desire? He says it's better to see that. Isn't it better to, if you will, see the hand of God than to sit there and want 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 all day long? Better is it to see what the Lord has already given to us. Better is it to see uh, the, how to please him in righteousness than to sit there and, and, and go about our life and do no good. To do no good. We already know that that's kind of how the Lord sees it, you know, us. We, we, when, when we sin and we're doing something like that, I mean, we truly like fill that verse where it says, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. And this is the mindset of this individual. He's not doing any good. There's no good in him. There's nothing good about it. And the question is asked, well, who knows what's good? Does this guy know? No. But the Lord does. The Lord does. So as we we, we look at this, uh, and, and we'll take a look at this a little bit more in, in, in chapter th- uh, chapter 6, verse 3 next week, but here he's saying, look, even if this guy has more and has all these abundant things, and he uses some rather extreme, if you will, examples. I mean, here he says, if a man begat a hundred children. Does anybody in here know how many, I mean, know anybody that's begat a hundred children? I, I, I mean, that, that's a, that's a lot of kids. That's a lot of kids. He uses this as an example. And he even says, uh, you know, continuing on, uh, that he's talking about, you know, living many years and even references down in verse six, though he live a thousand years twice told. Two thousand years. What, 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 I mean, again, 969 was Methuselah and he died. We go over there and we see all of those guys. They were 900 and something years old and they died. Close to a thousand years. Could you imagine living a thousand years? I mean, we, we, none of us in here is a hundred. We may feel like we're a hundred, but we're not. <laughs> I want you to think about that for a second. If you lived to be a hundred and you were still healthy and vital and you were capable of doing whatever you wanted to do, at a hundred years old, I mean, come on. 
You'd be sitting there thinking, I've got another 800 years to go? Well, I guess I better learn that foreign language. <laughs> better, I guess, you know, better sit down and read that encyclopedia set I've been meaning to. Whatever it may be. But think about, think about this extreme. What if it was 2,000 years? What if you had a lifespan of 2,000 years? Would it be worth anything if you had 100 children and 2,000 years of life, but you never did any good? What did you accomplish? What was done for the Lord? And this is, this is, I mean, this is heavy stuff that Solomon starts getting into. Why? Because he's sitting there taking a look at his life and he's asking, what did I do? Where is the profit in it? What, what did I grow? Now we know the end of Solomon's, uh, you know, his reign and, and, and the legacy that was left behind. And we understand that the legacy that was left behind was not a good one. He became obsessed with killing Jeroboam. So much so that it it led to a rebellion with Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Man. So much for continuing on, you know, with, with, with what the father did. The son went one step further and made it worse. And And we think about this for a second. Here's this extreme that the Lord paints. And he begins to start painting a picture. Solomon is being used here. But where's the wisdom in this? Who really knows what's good for a man's life? Is all the stuff really good? Or is there something else? And we'll find out more about that, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. I thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to study your word. And Lord, it's a very weighty subject matter as we get further into the book of Ecclesiastes that really gets us to start considering our life and really truly taking a look at uh, who who has the reins of our heart and and who's directing and who's uh, leading it. And, and Lord, who knows best? And we know, Lord, that it should be you. And you do know what is best for us. Pray, Lord, that we would just take what we've learned tonight and we begin to meditate upon it. We begin thinking about these things and Lord, we choose to, to just really, truly follow after you, that we would desire those things. That regardless of the honor and regardless of all the things that are bestowed upon us, Lord, it's all for your glory anyways. And Lord, I pray that we would keep that in mind. Again, I pray you take us home safely tonight and uh, bring us back safely on Tuesday for basic and Wednesday for midweek service. Thank you again for, Lord, just an opportunity to be here uh, among believers And I pray, Lord, that we would just be witnesses for you this week and have an opportunity to tell somebody about the gospel of Jesus Christ and your care and your compassion, your love, the forgiveness of sins. Lord, may we have that opportunity this week. And again, I thank you for all that you've done for us. And I pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.